Belinda has a question. Yeah, I'm reading a book on Richard Foster, Money, Sex and Power. And how to get it, presumably. <laughs> <laughs> and how to influence people, yeah. And I've only read the first section on money. Right. And talks about the dark side of money and then the light side of money. And it's, it's three little bits, if I read them out, that he says, um, he's talking about the darker side of money in this particular bit. Um, he says here about uh, distortions about money. The second distortion about money is found in the prevailing view of stewardship today. Discussion of stewardship, almost without exception, view money as completely neutral and depersonalised. That's this is the key bit, the neutral right. aspect. It is merely a medium of exchange. God has given us money to use to administer, to put into service, goes to teaching. And so the emphasis is always placed upon the best use, the proper stewardship of the resources that God has entrusted mm. to us. With, with all this talk of stewardship, we fail to see that money is not a neutral medium of exchange, but a power with a life of its own. And you know, we will talk about money containing mm. power. Then he says, money is one of these powers. When Jesus uses the Aramaic term mammon, referring to wealth, he is giving it a personal and spiritual character. When he declares you cannot serve God and mammon, in Matthew chapter 6, he is personifying mammon, money, as a rival, God. Behind our coins, and dollar bills or whatever material form we choose to give our money our spiritual forces and then he just says one more thing um, for Christ money is an idolatry we must be converted from in order to be converted to him the rejection of the god Mammon is a necessary precondition to becoming a disciple of Jesus. And in point of fact, money has many of the characteristics of deity. It gives us security, can induce guilt, give us freedom, give us power, and seems to be omnipresent. Most sinister of all, however, is its bid, its bid for omnipotence. Um, and Jesus, apart from talking the king about the kingdom of heaven, he points out, talked secondly the, the most about money after the kingdom of heaven. He made more references to money, mammon, goods and wealth than he did any other topic. And mm. I thought it wasn't that, that important, it wasn't. Um, is, is it, has it a power? I mean, it, it, I've just picked out the thing mm, for the yeah, whole chat yes. that he's talking about it, there being a power mm. in it or with it, behind it, or something. It's not yeah. a neutral, that pasatus isn't a neutral medium. There's it's something much deeper to it mm. than that. Is that right? What does the Bible say about that? What was Jesus talking about? Yeah, right. It, it, if, you, if you were to sort of like, you know, sort of say, read through the whole Bible just bearing in mind money, taking in what the Bible says about money, and particularly the New Testament, 
um, you actually get two two strains of thought about it, which initially seem to be contradictory, but in fact they're not. One strain of thought is simply the fact that in the Bible, money is nowhere condemned and is treated on this line of thinking as something neutral. And so, and the way we're to relate to it is simply there's nothing wrong with having it, but it's wrong to want it. I mean, it's like, you know, sort of like the scripture, you know, warns against wanting to be rich. But if you've got people who have got loads of money, it doesn't tell them to give it all away, it tells them to be generous. And so what you've got, by and large, is that the first strain of thought is that money is neutral, and the problem is the love of money. It's not money itself, it's the love of money. And, and indeed, in the Bible, God makes some people rich. Um, so that's the first strain of thought. But the second thing is precisely what he raises there about the teaching of Jesus. When Jesus, at that point, when he talks about mammon, describes it as a rival god, almost in the same way as God Molech and, you know, like Israel's history of, of going after these false gods, you know, being pulled into their power. And I think that the way that we bring those things together, it's, it's, it's the key about the love of money is the root of all evil. I.e., it's not saying that money is the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil. The idea being, if you love money, then, then it being the root of all evil, there's potentially no evil you won't do to get more money. That's the idea. And I think that what it boils down to is that to whatever extent you love money, it is mammon, it's a false god. But to the extent that that is being crucified in our lives, because we have to do that, we have to keep turning away from the love of money. It's not necessarily something that one can say, well, I mean, okay, I've done that in my life, blah, blah, blah. It's, for most people, in an ongoing way, one's got to be turning away from the love of money. And if we're doing that, then to that extent, money becomes neutral to us. But the moment we're not, the moment we're relating to money in a selfish way, and the love of money, and this kind of, or, you know, the power that money gives and the freedom that money gives, all right, the moment that you're viewing money divorced from the Lord's will, then it becomes mammon. And, um, and I mean, the great danger, um, I mean, the danger for unbelievers in regards to money uh, is the parable of the rich fool, when Jesus said this bloke, he, you know, kind of had loads of money and the harvest was coming in and, and you know, it was, it was going great with him. And so he said, what will I do? And he says, well, I'll build barns to put my harvest in. And, you know, he's got all this surplus money, so he invests it. He builds barns, then all the surplus harvest goes in. And, of course, it's all surplus money for him. And, and he's happy. You know, he says, you know, eat, drink and have your fill and all is well with me. Because he had money. He had wealth. All right. And yet in the parable, Jesus said that God said to him, you fool, because this night your soul is required of you. What will happen to your money then? 
And I always love the way that Robert Lee pictured it. It's like Monopoly. At the end of the day, the money in the world is Monopoly money. And one day, you're going to turn your toes up, you're going to face God, you're dead and buried, and it all goes back in the box. And it doesn't matter how, how much money you've got, it doesn't matter if you've got hotels on Mayfair, it will all go back in the box. Because as the Bible says, we, we brought nothing into the world, you were born naked, weren't, weren't even clothed. And you take nothing out of the world. It will be you facing God, all right, either as saved or not saved. And so the great danger for money is that it keeps people um, from the Lord. And again, there's, there's the story of the rich young ruler who, who, who came to Jesus and he said, what must I do? You know, he said, you're a good teacher and I do this, that and the other. And, you know, he sort of like listed the commands. And, but basically he missed out, he missed out covet listed the others but he missed out covet and uh, you know because that was his problem and Jesus said right for you doesn't mean everyone's got to do it but he says sell everything you've got and give it to the poor and he says that the young man went away sad and he went away sad because he couldn't do it his money kept him from becoming a Christian so that's the danger of money for unbelievers that it prevents them from becoming you know you know following the Lord but the danger for money for Christians is quite different. Money can't stop you being saved. You're already saved. But what money can do, if you love it, is it will shipwreck your faith. And uh, in the parable of the sower, when Jesus is talking about, okay, that the first seed falls to the ground and it doesn't take root, unbelievers, you know, the birds of the air come and snatch it up. They're people, they hear the gospel, they don't get saved. But then the other three seeds are believers. And, um, you know, sort of like, and the first seed doesn't take that much root and the sun comes up and it kind of, it uh, shrivels up. And, uh, and Jesus said that that's persecution. And uh, for some people, they get saved and then they realise it's going to be difficult being a Christian. Maybe they lose friends or they get into trouble and persecution comes along. And so they fall away because they've got no root within themselves. They're saved, but they're carnal Christians and when the testing comes, they fall away. And Christians like that, they fall away fairly quickly. They don't last very long as disciples. All right. But the, the second seed, well, the third seed went on to bear fruit, varying degrees of fruit. But the real danger is the second seed. Because this, this, this person persevered with the Lord as a disciple for quite a time. But then what happened was the weeds grew up and choked it. Can you see time? Time. I mean, the sun coming out and scorching the first seed, that's over fairly quickly. But, but to be strangled by plants, that takes a bit longer. And, and this seed is strangled by plants. And Jesus said that it's, it's, it's the, the cares of the world and the love of riches. They go hand in hand. Um, for some people, it might be because they get rich they get more and more money and that takes them away from the Lord. Or it could be that they haven't got money but they want money and, and they're all the time going after money. It becomes the weeds that strangle them. And Paul says in Timothy, you know, that sort of like, you know, that those who, who go after money, those who desire riches, um, fall into many a snare. And so the danger of money for us is always 
that it can be the means of ultimately causing you to stop following the Lord. The weeds are always going to be there. Satan's going to grow the weeds. But if we love money, they'll strangle us. And so it seems to me that the way to relate to money in the Bible is that nowhere is it said it's wrong to have money. All right? But it's wrong to love money. If you love money, it will be mammon, and you will serve money rather than the Lord. You can go through all, all the actions, but if you love money, it's got you. It's a foreign god. It's idolatry. And that's one of the reasons why, I don't know if you've noticed, but throughout the New Testament, greed is equated with idolatry. Whenever you get the Bible in the New Testament talking against greed, you get which is idolatry. And Paul says that again and again and again. Why? Well, because greed means you want money. That's the love of money. And why is it idolatry? Because if you love money, money is then a false god over you, mammon. But if you don't love money, if all the time you keep money at the foot of the cross, and that your financial situation is according to God's will, and that all your desires concerning it have been brought to the Lord, you know, that you don't for one moment consider the money to be yours, because you haven't actually got any money. The earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. All right, the moment we think it's our money, I can do what I like with it, that's mammon. It's idolatry. But if we keep it at the cross, and if we're generous, giving sacrificially, and I've always defined giving sacrificially as that if you're giving in the way that the Lord will want you to give, it means that you'll be living a, a peg down on the lifestyle that you would if you weren't giving. And that would apply to a multi-millionaire and it would apply to someone who's hardly got, you know, sort of like, you know, two farthings to rub together. The point is to sacrificially give means that you're giving however little you're able to, but to the point where your standard of living is lower than it would be if you weren't giving. And the point is, the more prosperous you get, the the, the greater the number of pegs below your potential standard of living you ought to be. And so what that leaves us with is that it leaves us all with the fact that some people prosper and the Lord wants them to and they're blessed financially and they end up with more and more money. And in a funny kind of a way, I mean, you know, there's a sense in which the Bible does say that given it shall be given, the more you give, the more you'll get. Uh, but obviously the more you get, then the more you've got to give away. But it, it, it's saying that it's not a problem to prosper, although we've got to be content whether we're prospering or not. Paul says, I've learned in every situation to be content. I've learned how to abound more than enough, and I've learned how to be abased. And so, therefore, we're free... We don't have to be like I used to be in the past, anti-money. I mean, I brought a rather stringent socialism over into my Christianity, uh, you know, and was sort of, you know, rather believed that, you know, committed Christians really shouldn't have any luxuries at all. You know, I mean, basically, as long as I had my travelling expenses, clothes to wear and money for me old Holborn, um, I was, I was, ha you know, I felt that that was, that's all any Christian should expect to have and considered, you know, sort of like people having houses and it's just, just, you know, sort of like, you know, weights around their neck. Now, I was completely wrong. I mean, the Lord has shown me that that, that was not Christianity. That was a, a, a rather strident, you know, sort of like a poverty spirit, 
you know, sort of attitude and not very nice at all. But the point is, it leaves us free to relate to people who have got lots of money and have no problem that they've got lots of money. And it leaves us free to relate to people who've hardly got any money, and that's great. And it leaves us free to have lots of money or no money, depending on what God's will is for us individually at any one time. And so, again, to sum up, and in that book, he's absolutely right. He's got the key point there, the most important thing. Money, per se, is not neutral. All right? Read the Bible in one way, never says it's wrong. Read the Bible one way, and it is. But what you've got to realise is that also money is taught by Jesus to be a competing God. And the key is, if you're relating to money, and therefore the Lord, in the right way, it is neutral to the extent that you're doing that. But if you're not, then money becomes a God that is controlling you. And we mustn't ever think that it's only there for people who've got lots of money. As I say, you can get shipwrecked because you get more and more money, or you can get shipwrecked because there's the potential to get more and more money, and you can get shipwrecked like that. But you can be in a position of not being very well off at all, having no possibility of ever being well off, but still have the love of money shipwreck you because you're not satisfied with your circumstance and become jealous of those who've got more than you. All, all these things are the weeds growing up and strangling the seed, strangling the plant so that it doesn't bear any more fruit. And, uh, you know, so, so, so with money, we've got to keep it at the foot of the cross, we've got to make sure all the time that we're right with the Lord in regards to it. If we do, then it's neutral and we are protected from it becoming a god over us. But to, w to the extent that we don't, then it's become mammon. And we're serving mammon instead of serving Lord. And it's one or the other. You can't serve both. One of the, one of the things he hangs in on a lot was the, the thing about the, um, the characteristics of money being as a, a god, as it were. It gives security and I mean I know for me I mean I could I would I would and have and will <laughs> be feel insecure if ever I had a pound in my purse and then I didn't have a pound in my purse hmm. or in the bank account whatever you keep your money um it it does give hmm. security and it's I know that's I mean I our security is in the law. For mm. people who don't have money, like in countries where literally they haven't got money, mm. they, you know, get their rice and peas for the day or whatever, they haven't got that, this medium we've got in purses and things, their security isn't in it. But because we've got it, it's ever so hard not to feel any sense of security in it. And how do you get free of it? You know, whether it's to, whether it's that or I mean, the, the, you go to it. You can go pensions, insurances. It gives giving us security. Mm. Where do you draw the line, and how do you get free of feeling secure because you've got a pound in your purse, mm. as opposed to feeling secure because your life is in the Lord's hands? Because that's he, he comes in on that quite a lot. That is security business. Yeah.
I mean, you know, with the thing about, you know, sort of like insurances and, and storing up for the future, I mean, that's a line that each individual must draw in their own conscience. That's, that's for each individual before God to sort out. What one person couldn't say to another about that. I mean, sort of some, some Christians are to that extent anti-insurance. They wouldn't, for instance, have life insurance. Other Christians would see no problem with it at all. And that isn't something where you turn a verse up in the Bible and say, thus saith the Lord. That is something where each individual has got to sort out their own finances before the Lord. But certainly it is quite possible, um, you know, and I've known people who do it, to be so insured against the future, you know, life assurances, pension schemes, blah, 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 where they're, they're so insured against the future that they're actually robbing themselves of a free flow of cash in the present. You know, because I mean, sort of such a high proportion of their income is tied up. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to have income tied up against the future. I'm not saying it at all. But some people, they end up struggling and feeling insecure in the present. Precisely, you know, they feel broke. You know, the car breaks down and suddenly, oh, what can we... And it's not because their income won't cover it, it's because their income is going out in all these insurances and they've ended up insured up to their eyeballs against the future and it's out of balance. That, that's the thing, it needs to be a balance, all right. But for someone else, they don't have any insurances at all. Obviously, there are some insurances you've got to have by law. But again, it's for each individual to sort that out for themselves. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with having pension schemes. Of course not. But it's a question of balance, and each person's got to know uh, where where their own security lies. I think all one can do is to pray and say to the Lord, "Well, look, you know, Lord, you know, sort of like I'm I'm tied up in a kind of a wrong security with money. Set me free from it." Um, you know. But I mean, that's all right, isn't it? Oh yeah, yes, yes, I think, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yes, yes, I think, yeah. Yeah. It's not an ex part to go down, but what do you do in those situations? It's like, sorry, Lord, but I have trusted in money. That's a trust in money, isn't it? Discontentment in all things. What? I mean, that's the best thing. Yeah, I mean, he did say, I have learned. He learned that. That's right, I have learned. Um, you know, and, uh, and you've got to remember that Paul the Apostle was writing those words well into his discipleship, you know, sort of 30, 40 years into following the Lord. And, you know, so, so again, it's not necessarily something that necessarily comes overnight. It's something that we do have to learn, be it in regards to finances or whatever. But I think that all we can do is to sort of like, you know, present ourselves to the Lord and, 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 and to really sort of like commit that area of our lives to him. Um, I mean, sort of one, you know, one, you know, way that I've often put it in the past, because, I mean, it strikes me as being the right way, is that... Um, you know, sort of like, um, it's a bit like a Superman's X-ray vision cannot see through lead, all right? And the Holy Spirit cannot get through an unsurrendered wallet. And where does the wallet normally go? Inside jacket pocket over the heart. Well, the Holy Spirit just cannot get into through an unsurrendered wallet. And, and again, we're back to the mammon thing. You know, that to not have money surrendered to the Lord you know, I mean, without that, discipleship, I think, can only exist as a theory. It might be developing, 
But discipleship can't be what I call 100% entered into until the money thing is taken on board. Um, you know, because, I mean, especially today, I mean, we're brought up in a consumer society, you know, where, where I mean, credit is thrusted on us the whole time. We're encouraged to be in debt. Now, it's an absolute mugs game. You know, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm very pleased that I, I had parents who, who brought me up to, to realise what an idiot idea debt was. I mean, mortgages and, you know, sort of like borrowing in regards to businesses and things like that. You know, I mean, I put those two aside. But, you know, that, the whole thing about debt is that get it now and pay for it later. Live now, pay later. And, you know, sort of like I was brought up to realise that that is a mugs game. And it is a mugs game. If you want something, save up for it. Um, you know, but 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 today, where it's thrown at us, you know, credit, debt, everyone wants to lend us money. And of course, what it does is that it cultivates impatience, it cultivates selfishness, um, you know, and 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 it cultivates, you know, it cultivates. It is, as it were, you know, the God Mammon bringing his disciples more and more to heal at his feet. That is what the consumer society is. Do you think that um, to want to want money is is wrong? Is it a bit of a, it's not quite the right turn of phrase? Like to want it is wrong. Because I mean, I I get up in the morning, say on a Saturday, that teacher thought I put my things, hmm. and go to work for five hours, and I don't have to because I want I want the extra money. Hmm. You know, that, that isn't wrong, is it? No, no, not of itself. Obviously, one has got to have money. In our society today, you've got to have money. And the idea, we have jobs and we're paid for our work, all right? And therefore, we can pay our way. And again, we're back to this thing about money. There's nothing wrong in wanting more money, okay, to that extent. But I've got to draw a line there. Because for some people, that scramble is just for more money to spend on themselves. Now, obviously, there are times when just... We all have to pay our way. And there are times when, for some people, they've got to do the overtime because they're barely keeping their heads above water, all right? Um, you know, and, 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 and so, therefore, you know, sort of doing overtime and that, I mean, no problem. But again, the whole time, we've always got to be um, ad addressing the thing, am I in a scramble for money merely because it's what of what it's going to do for me, all right? And, 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 I mean, it's like, say if we think in terms of sort of like buying things, because, ag again, it would be a complete mistake to think that of the money that God, you know, apportions to each one of us to steward for him, because it's not our money, all right? I mean, it's my, I mean, my money is my money relative to you, and your money is your money, you know, i.e., you can't tell me what to do with my money. It's my money as far as you're concerned, and your money is your money as far as I'm concerned. But as far as God is concerned, it's not our money at all. And he can tell us what to do with it any time he likes, you see. So the point is, um, but we've got to see that it's not... I mean, it's okay God permits us to spend that money, okay, you know, that he apportions to us, all right? Um, you know, sort of like not just paying our way, but he has no objection to us having nice things with it, that, that, that that money is spent on us. But the point is, that needs to be after the whole area of giving has been sorted out. And, um, and it's like, even if 
your giving is sorted out, okay, you know, I mean, obviously that needs to be on a, a day-to-day basis, but even so, again, we need to beware of the automatic assumption, here is something I would like. My giving is sorted out, that's, that's right with the Lord at the moment, all right, and I've got the spare cash to go out and buy this thing, whatever it is, all right? Don't assume that just because you've got the wherewithal and just because the thing itself is okay, don't assume that you're just free to go out and get it. You've got to find out whether the Lord is giving, you know, saying, yes, you can. I give you permission. So the point is, whatever it is, you know, I mean, it's a holiday or whatever, could be anything, you know, video recorder, telly, hi-fi, lingo for your linson deck, whatever it is. The point is, having the wherewithal to get it is obviously the first stage. <laughs> obviously, you can't get it if you haven't. And then Mammon comes in and says, I'll lend it to you. Well, remember what happened to Faust. You know, when Mephistopheles stepped in and said, well, I'll lend you whatever you need. Well, these are all different names for the devil, aren't they? Mephistopheles and Faust. Yeah, it's classic literature there. Um, you know, that the, the, the obviously having the wherewithal to buy something is step one, don't go out and get a loan. But just because you have got the wherewithal, that doesn't mean, oh, well, I want it, God's given me the money, I'm going to get it. No, ask the Lord if he's happy with you to spend that money on what it is you want. Then, if he is, by all means, go ahead and do it. Jane? Oh, crumbs. No, 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 no. Well, I think probably with, you know, with sort of like, you know, I mean, at the chewing gum and maybe bars of chocolate level. Um, No, but it's true, because for some people, for some people, the issue there might be gluttony. All right, you know, I mean, sort of like there, you know, there there are people who constantly stuff their faces. and uh, slow metabolism will soon put a stop to that, by the way. Um, you know, but, you know, but in regard, I mean, I, I did used to, I wouldn't ever, you know, at one point buy myself a Mars bar. I mean, I could be out all day and I wouldn't even buy a cup of coffee because I felt it was wrong. And that was extreme. I mean, I was so extreme, it was ridiculous. But let's, you know, let's go up a bit. Say shoes, clothes, pair of jeans, new suit or whatever. Well, we need to be at peace about it. Now, if you're at peace about it, fine. You know, but it's just bringing the Lord in on it. I, what we need to do is well, to I just... I felt at peace at buying it, but knowing that I can't do it, I still felt at peace at buying it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> <laughs> felt at peace, so I don't yeah. understand that. You felt at peace at buying something. Buying something. something. I know that I've got ten doors. Right, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. Right. Sure, <laughs> Yeah, that's right. When I talk, when I'm saying about being at peace about it, I'm talking about being at peace about it after this area of our life has been surrendered to the Lord. Because the whole point is, if this area of your life isn't surrendered to the Lord, of course you'll have peace about it. You're still working on the assumption that you did as an unbeliever. It's your money and do what you like with it. And who can argue with that? You see, so therefore, yeah, people whose money isn't surrendered to the Lord, of course they're at peace about it. 
Well, they wouldn't have anything, would they? Of course they're at peace about it. Well, I'm talking, I mean, they're at peace about it in the same way that unbelievers are at peace about it. I've got the money, I'll have it, I want it, go and get it. Oh, then you feel happy because you got it. But that, that's not the being at peace that I'm talking about. I'm talking about that once, once we've opened this room, this attic room in our lives, all right, the house of our lives, Holy Spirit's knocking on the door. Once we open that door and the Holy Spirit comes into our money, and, and, and of course everything that money does, the buying, I can go out and buy this, that and the other, blah, blah, blah. It's at that point, once we've let the Lord into that area of our lives, then what I'm saying is that you will find that if you keep going, you know, in an ongoing way, that when there's something you want to buy, that if you pray about it, you will find that you won't automatically be at peace. There'll be times when, no, not the moment, you've got the money, but no, it's just not right. There's a sense in which the Holy Spirit inside you is not giving you permission to use that money in that way at that time. Maybe in six months he will. But then there might be another thing that you want to do and you pray about it and, and yeah, that piece, it's, it's great. And the fact that the Lord wants you to have it makes the buying of it and the enjoying it even more. Because the Lord said, there you are, I'm treating you. Because remember, it's his money, not yours. And, you know, so, so, so it's, but, but it's that being at peace after we've realised that the money isn't our money and to, to whatever extent we, re, we relate to it as if it was, to that extent it's a false god, a demonically powered idol that is controlling our lives, to whatever extent. So that finding peace about what you do with your money is after it's been surrendered to the Lord and on the assumption that in an ongoing way that you're surrendering the money to the Lord. Um, you know, I mean, one might get to the point, by and large, where you feel quite happy. You know, I mean, sort of like you can just go out and buy a Mars bar any time you want, no problem. But the point is, you won't arbitrarily, just because you've got money that, that, that is spare, and this is after giving, right? Just because you've got money that, that, that is there, all right, it's just sitting there, earning interest. And just because something, there's something that you'd like, and I've got the, the next thing on my list, don't assume, whatever you do, that just because the money's there, that, okay, go out and get the next thing on your list. The next thing on your list, get it if the Lord permits you. That's the key. Then possessions won't be a bondage to you. They'll be a joy to you. Yeah. So I, mean, I mean, obviously, the car needs fixing. You don't have to ask the Lord. You've got to do it. If it's right to run a car? Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm saying if it's right to yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not challenging whether it's right for. But I'm saying if a believer, if it's okay for them to, you know, to run a car, if that's the Lord's will for them, then obviously they got to maintain that car. Don't be silly about it. If the Lord's giving you a BMW, you don't have to buy BMW parts all the time. You don't have to take your car to a main dealer and pay to, You can if you want, but I mean, that's just, you know, I mean... But yeah, if you've got a car, you've got to maintain it, of course. Absolutely. So like getting rid of the security thing, I'm thinking back to how little got off hmm. the track, is just by admitting it's there. Yeah. I mean, to a certain extent, there there's a certain, I think, feeling of security and having some money in your purse, which is probably quite normal. 
you know, and then I mean, Joe, I mean, Joe had everything, and then God took everything. God took, and that's and the key to it. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's the key. I mean, one of the crunch points, um, you know, but but yeah. No, no, that's right. But fretting about it again is all part and parcel of the security and money you're not meant to have. Because I mean, the point is, God might, God might not. But whatever He does do, it will be the best thing for us at the time, and He'll give us grace to get by. So if somebody was all the time fretting, oh, how's God going to test me next? Is He going to take all my money away? Well. Yeah, I mean, he might, he might not. I mean, he doesn't with most people, but the point is to be fretting about it is, is part of the problem. I mean, when you've got money, enjoy it. Bible doesn't say can't enjoy it. Enjoy it. You know, and if he takes it away, enjoy life without it. That, that's the key. You don't... I mean, in regards to money, we mustn't be frightened of it either. You see, if... If it's surrendered to the Lord and we're not serving, you know, mammon, and all the time we're aware of that danger, well, therefore, we can live quite happily enjoying what the Lord has given to us and enjoying it all the more because we know it's God's will. But if he takes it away, he takes it away. You know, if the Lord says you can have a holiday this year, love that holiday to bits. Jesus came to give us life and more abundantly, Christians should enjoy their holidays more than non-Christians. They shall start counting down to them six months before they happen. Mm -hmm. But next year, the law says, don't have a holiday. Well, enjoy life without a holiday. Because you couldn't enjoy a holiday if the Lord didn't want you to have one. That, that's the key. Whatever situation, be content. So part of the key to that, what you just said, is that um, the judge, the judge that was realising that and God takes everything away, you've, you've still got everything because you've still got God. Exactly. God is everything. Ultimately, because our security is in Him. Comes from God. Yeah. So God took everything away, but He, he never lost anything at all. In, because God, God is everything, He's still our God. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's let's not try and paint the picture that if if God took everything away that we're supposed to just whistle through it and click our heels. Because in the same way, I mean, you know, I mean, sort of, you know, say take you know, sort of husband and wife. I mean, you're meant to find security in each other. And my goodness, if the Lord takes your partner away, that's not easy. It's not meant to be easy. So, so it's a question of the valid security. I mean, you know, as long as Blinger and I are together, we're going to put a lot of security in each other. That's great. That's part of what it's there for. The Lord's given us each other. We can feel secure with each other. But just as long as we realise that if we're ever separated from each other, then we find our security in the Lord. It's the same with money. Otherwise, you'll become neurotically fearful of money, or you know, all the time, oh dear, it's meant to be, I'm staffed. Enjoy it, enjoy your money. I mean, the balance that we're seeing is that if your money is surrendered to the Lord, and if you're keeping that in an ongoing situation before Him, then you can rest easy about your money, and let the Lord lead you and enjoy it, and uh, you know, and make sure that any time that, that that you're being blessed financially, you know, let any upturn in the money reflect in greater giving and greater generosity towards other people. That's the point. You know, I mean, fundamentally, the teaching of Paul boils down to this: don't want more money. Don't let it. You know, be happy the way you are. But if the Lord gives you riches, be generous. 
that's the, you know, that's it. And whatever happens, be content the way you are. So if you ever end up stinking rich, be content. If you're poor, be content. And it's like with the security, all we can do is surrender that to the Lord and say, well, Lord, do whatever's needed in me so that I don't all the time find my security in regards to finances. You see, most people that go out to work, they earn a wage. I mean, bang, it's there. You know, I mean, the Lord, you know, it's, 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 it's there. Most people, you've got to handle money by having it. You've got to learn to handle it by having it. Only few people learn to handle it by not having it. They're called elders. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> you know, but yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 And in those... That would up right. That would only happen if someone didn't deal with that situation the way they should. Yeah, obviously, any work that the Lord does in us, if we kick against us, if we kick against him, we're going to get more insecure, not less insecure. Yeah, that's the key. It is learning it. It is learning it. Yeah, yeah. He says in there that um, some of us grew up during the depression years and know firsthand the pervasive anxiety of scarcity hmm. when people were rationed and money and that disappeared. Because of that experience, a holding, hoarding spirit is almost instinctive in us. And the very idea of letting go of the possession is frightening. Others of us grew up in an era of affluence and are keenly aware of the spiritual dangers of too much. Mm. The notions of conserving and being frugal feel like vices rather than virtues. Mm. It's only as we come to term with terms with these and many other feelings that have shaped our understanding of money that we can act upon the biblical course of faithfulness. So you've got one extreme or the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without it, like 40 years or even now, you've lost hmm. something, it's difficult. Yeah, I mean, let's, yeah, let's, you know, just sort of look at the two extremes, all right? And, 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 and I mean, any one person might be smack bang in the middle, no problem, or they might veer to whatever extent to one extreme or the other, okay? Now, wear the cap that fits each one. So, oh, yes, that's my cap, I'm going to wear it, all right? And the... The first extreme, alright, and they're both as bad as each other, alright, they're both different sides of the same coin. The first extreme, um, you know, are sort of people who, regardless of how much money they've got, they might have a tiny little bit to spare or they might have loads of money to spare. But their tendency is spend, spend, spend. Always spending money. I'm not talking about on groceries, I mean obviously you've got to keep up to date with toilet paper and things like that, I'm not saying, but I'm talking about pleasure, spend, spend, spend. Spend, 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 all right? So the point is, if they've got two pounds that they don't need, well, go and get a burger. If they've got 20 pounds they don't need, automatically let's go to the restaurant. Or whatever, you know, can you see, but any spare they've got, it's spend, spend, spend. They, they're not able to just let spare money sit there until such time as the Lord shows them what to do with it. You see, spend, spend, spend. Uh, the, the constant round of spending money on yourself, entertainment or whatever. You see what I mean? And, and, and there you've got the care of the world and the love of riches. Can you see? Just all the time spending money on yourself. All right. That's one extreme. All right. So these people, they fritter it away. or It just through, goes through their hands like water. Extreme number one. And, and, and any of us could be any way 
Picture this, an aeroplane and there's two wings, all right? Any of us could be, some of us might be hanging off the very end of that wing, or we might just be sitting on it outside of the fuselage, you know, sort of like just sitting by the window. But however far along that wing is, if we're along that wing, then we need to get back into the plane and balance up. Right, what's the other one? All right. Well, the other one is uh, actually, in some ways, especially dangerous. And it's especially dangerous because it's one of those things where something that is potentially wrong is looked on as a virtue. This one always looks virtuous. And it's hoarding. It's scrimping. It's, it's people who... It's very hard for them to spend money. It's a poverty-mindedness. This is where I was when I became a Christian and remained there for, 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 for 10 years or so. Now, for me, I, wouldn't, I couldn't have even gone as far as hoarding because I'd have believed it was wrong to have it. I mean, I didn't have a bank account until probably was about 26. Because I had no need for a bank account. Because anything I had surplus my requirements, I gave away. All right. Um, you know, but I had a real job spending money. All right. Um, now, other people, all right, the money comes in, what they do, they hoard it. It's always there against a rainy day. It's, their security is totally in it. There are two ways of having your security and money. One is to need to be spending it all the time, and the other one is the need to not spend it and save it up all the time. Um, I, I remember years ago reading a book it was a book of sermons i don't know who this guy was you know i can't remember his name he was sort of like you know probably some anglican vicar somewhere you know but he was a genuine christian and it was a book of his sermons and there was one sermon and it it, it was just one of those it, it just went so deep into my heart all right it really did and uh, i think the title he gave to it was unlocking graves with a pen and he told the story um of um an evangelist, and this would have been at the turn of the century, this evangelist, and he works for a group of churches in a particular area, so he was employed by like a, a local council of churches or whatever, and, um, and you know, it was his job to evangelise the area, and, you know, sort of like he, he, he asked a committee of various leaders from all these churches, and he came up with a particular scheme that would have run over two or three years or whatever for reaching the local area but it would have cost a bit of money all right it would have cost you know a couple of thousand pounds and this is you know the days when that was a lot of money anyway he reported back to his committee and he said look this is this is what i believe is the right thing to do and this is what i need for it so we we need this much money and it was a fair whack of money all right um you know sort of like in today's terms it might have been something like five thousand pounds all right that you know that that sort of thing and um and the you know committee studied it and and then they met again to tell the evangelist what their you know decision on it was and the chairman of the committee the big week right you know the big leader of this committee he said you know sort of like you know sort of your your you know sort of this this plan is wonderful this is brilliant and he says but where does our dear brother expect in all the world to get five thousand pounds from and so it didn't happen. And a couple of months later, that chairman died and he left about £100,000. See? Now, what this bloke was saying in this sermon, he was saying that there are loads and loads and loads of Christians 
and their money is buried in bank vaults. And it's just sitting there earning them interest because they haven't got any security in the Lord. Their security is in money. And it's just, I mean, obviously, yeah, you, you know, I mean, if you're in the position to, buy, have some that you want to pass on to your children, yeah, sure. But this bloke, I mean, he left £100,000. Well, when he said, where does our brother expect to get five grand from? I mean, it was pretty obvious where he was supposed to get five grand from, wasn't it? I mean, it's not as if him putting up the money would have compromised his entire financial <coughs> legacy. It, it was a drop in the ocean. And this bloke was saying, is that you know there's the you know the world is 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 starving for the word of God, and you know and 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 all the time there's a restriction, for instance, on the number of people who can be released into full-time work, be it missionaries or whatever, and why? Because of a lack of finances, and yet he said that there are many many Christians. I mean, there are many poor Christians who give so generously out of the little they've got. It's amazing. There are rich Christians who give amazingly out of their riches, and that's brilliant. But there are loads of Christians who, whether it's a little or whether it's a lot, it's all sitting in the bank rotting. And it's sitting in the bank rotting because their security is in that money against a rainy day. Now, that rainy day will never come. Or let's say it does. Oh, I might lose my job. Well, you might lose your job, but won't the Lord provide? Didn't the Lord provide when you had a job? Why would he stop providing when you haven't got a job? Now, I want to say, I'm not in any way saying here, and the bloke whose sermon I read wasn't saying either, you shouldn't have any money in the bank. He wasn't saying that at all. But he was saying that so often, you know, sort of like Christians die, and all this money that was just locked away in bank accounts, and it only surfaces when they die, and then to go usually to the family, and often they don't need it anyway, it still doesn't go to Christian work. And, you know, and he's saying, we could unlock graves with a pen by writing a cheque. And, you know, so the hoarding is also wrong as well, because, again, it's the security in your money. Now, I emphasise, again, I'm not saying it's wrong to have some money in the bank. I'm not saying that at all. That If you've got money in the bank, we'll start giving it all away. I'm not saying that at all. But the point is, there are Christians who have money in the bank so surplus to their needs. And here's the point. All the time, the money is increasing in the bank because all the time they're paying into it. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And at the end of the day, the only people who are winning are flipping bankers. You know, it's the financial institutions. Mm. 
and they were already poor. Mm. That, that's what that's what gets me. They were already poor. They weren't sort of like, oh, we've got plenty of money because we've done loads of overtime, or you know, or oh, I inherited a hundred thousand pound the other day, so mm. I'll just give it to the churches over there. They were already poor. Yeah. They had virtually no next to nothing anyway. Yeah. Mm. That yeah. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like. Giving it should be given. I mean, you cannot be the loser by giving. You can't be too generous as a Christian. And, um, you know, sort of sacrificially generous. Yeah, I remember um, recently, that I had a bit of a discussion with David Lee, and, and I just felt the Lord saying to me that, listen, you're getting a little bit tired of your money there. So I went out for a little walk to sort it out, really, just to buy a bag and say, well, the Lord, and sort it out. There's a few things you want to sort out. And I'm not, mm. I wouldn't say I'm 100% there yet. I'm all, you know, perfect, but I've got a couple of things sorted. Mm. And the other time I come back shortly, you know, about sort of a month after that, mm. it's like, well, you know, I'm surprised. Not, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm not there yet. Either, so. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I remember the, when um, the idea, first came up about uh, getting a house so that when Dave and Lee and Mick blah, 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 needed somewhere to live and mm. wanted to live and the enthusiasm and that, well you were actually there that night oh, weren't you Dave? Were you there as well? Yeah. <laughs> oh. no, the enthusiasm prior to that was, was great and then that evening we discussed it and we were getting mm. it i.e. definite what we're going to do this oh, yeah. and then it suddenly dawned on people that well hang on this will mean that it's coming out of the general fund, which will mean that it will be members of this church that will fund the, mm-hmm. the getting mm-hmm. this up off the ground, as it were. And then the good dust. Mm. Or that evening, then mm. it was yeah, dust yeah, in the room. But it was mm. incredible when, um, with the large amount of people we had then, yeah. it meant so little for each person relative to oh, yeah. really um, the income that each person in that room was getting. Well, the thought to put towards that when it falls down mm. to actually doing it was um, unthinkable. Oh yeah, that's right. I mean, I always remember that. I mean, when as a church we were 70 strong, the, the giving over some, you know, sort of like two or three years consistently worked out the equivalent of a Big Mac per person per week. It's pathetic. And yet, what what I love, and say that evening as well, that there's not one person who objected that evening who's still in this church. Mm. See? Because the Lord knows how to sort out the disciples. And as soon as people thought that it was going to cost them personally, that the fellowship was going to commit itself to a big financial... But that's what the fund is for. What comeback have we got if it falls through? What comeback have we got if the rent isn't paid? Yeah. There wasn't any assurance. And the whole idea of it was that the, the fund would be there. Yeah. Oh yes, yes, it was a sad night. But people stood up and said, "Well, I don't agree because you know it's our money. I would give anyone." Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Um, well, yeah, I mean, people wanted guarantees, and I mean, that's the daft thing about it, isn't it? I mean, giving and guarantees. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, it does need to be a balance. Um, yeah. I think Roger Price's teacher was always very helpful. So he did get the balance right. You know, you don't want to go on. I mean, churches are always, you know, sort of like trying to get more money out of their people. I mean, that is dreadful. But on the other hand, places where it's embarrassing to talk about, that's silly as well. Um, you know, again, it's a balance. But, you know, but I mean, back to the spend, 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 all the hoarders. I mean, get the thing to realise is that whether you're spend, 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 or whether you're a hoarder, at the end of the day, your money is there for you. And that's it, period. And remember, some people, they consider it their money. What they want from their money are possessions. They, you know, or entertainment. So that's why they spend, spend, spend. That's what they, what they want from their money is the spending power. So out they go and do it. But the hoarders, what they want from their money, they don't want things, they don't want spending power, they want that feeling of security that the money's there in the bank. It's the same. Whether you're blowing it or now the... <laughs> See, the thing is, obviously, a spender will tell a hoarder he's silly, obviously, but the spender's doing it from completely the wrong motives. But the hoarders... The hoarders are very responsible. Oh, you've got to be responsible for your money. Well, of course you've got to be responsible for your money. But the hoarders, they're the ones, because the spend, 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 you can't make that look godly. But the hoarders do manage to make that look godly. Yeah, yeah. But the hoarders do make it look godly, because they're, they're all more responsible and more this might and this blah, blah. See, no, and it's, it's, it's equally wrong. And again, all the time, it's it's... It's it's the balance, and to the hoarders. I mean, I I quote Voltaire. I mean, was, he he wasn't a Christian. It's about the only thing he ever said that I'd agree with. But it was right. Money's like muck. It's only good if you spread it around, and that is where the Bible is in regards to money. Spread it around. Um, you know, sit on it. Don't hoard it. Don't bank it all the time. I Use it. With Robert Lee, people uh, not over the years, and he was aware of it, assumed that because. He lived in Chigwell, and because he had that big house, that he had loads of money, free money in his bank as well. And his main wealth, as he said, was in the building. If he sold the building, then he'd have a lot of wealth. Oh, yeah, money. yeah. Once he bought another property, as Bella has done, it's freed up that hmm. cash. But his income was his uh, work pension and his state pension. He was a very good pension each month hmm. he got that. And he used to have a bit of paper and he put the amount at the top. And as the month went on, he'd be up, get all his payments out and, and give it. And when he got to the end of the month, as long as it got down there, not, 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 he was happy. Mm. He didn't want to save it and hold it. But at his, at his, mm. his stage of life, he said, yeah. it, it, it will just sit in a bank. What if yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and I mean, his month started with his giving. But as he got down, if it was sort of like, you know, say the last week of the month or the last two days of the month, if there was money left, well, that went as well. It was merely a question, Lord, where do you want it to go? I think, actually, that scenario that you just painted with Robert Lee, we 
that our stage is like, I have to take that step further. Okay, Robert's new because he had a pension, right? Every month, boom, boom, boom. But at the end of the day, where our column starts with what the Lord decides he's going to give us. Mm. Now, in some cases, people have got books, fixed ways, boom, boom, boom. Mm. Other cases, they haven't. But at the end of the day, whatever's at the top, you get to the bottom at the end of the month, trusting the Lord that it's going to start again the following month. Mm. Mm. Robert didn't have to trust the Lord in that way. Like no, no, mm. no. We should be trusting the Lord that the next month starts again. Well, yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, obviously, there's a sense in which, I mean, precisely because the average person is a wage earner, and also the average person is on what you would call set, you know, set wages, there's a sense in which that comes automatically. But again, the key to realising it is that that wage is, you know, God's provision, because he gave you the job. And as we all know, that job can go any time. You know, the Lord is, he can rearrange things, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, so, so, so the point is that even though one has got set wages, there still needs to be trusting the Lord for money, because you don't know what's going to happen next month. Um, you know, and, and, and also, when need arises, um, your wages are not necessarily the end of the story either. Often believers who have got set wages feel that for them to ever be praying for money would be completely wrong because they've got their ma the wages are set. But I would say no. If there's something that you really believe that the Lord is, you know, sort of like, you know, leading you in or he wants to provide, and your wages aren't enough, you pray that the Lord will provide. Your wages aren't the limit. Yeah, I mean, I'm not talking about to go out and live the high life, but I'm saying, you know, that we mustn't ever feel that just because someone's on a set wage, that their set wage is the end of the story. It's not the end of the story at all. Because everything is completely flexible. Just, you know, who knows what the Lord's going to do tomorrow or next week. But the vitally important thing is making sure you know, the, these two strands. The Bible says that money is neutral and the Bible says that money isn't neutral. Now, how do those things fit together? Well, it's because it's neutral only if we're in surrender to the Lord concerning it, realising that if we're not, it becomes a God. It's rather like, um, you know, sort of like we know with, you know, power over sin. You know, the, the Lord, if if we turn to the Lord, he can neutralise our sinful nature to the extent that we're drawing on the life of Jesus, our sinful nature is neutralised. But the moment we're not, oh boy, not only is our sinful nature not neutralised, it's there with all the power of enemy it ever had. Now, if we keep money surrendered to the Lord, it's neutralised, it's safe, it's neutral, neutralised. That's what the word means. But the moment that you come out of surrender to the Lord in regards to finances, then far from being neutral, that money is the God mammon and he'll marmalise you. Do you see? Because you'll be in his spell, in his control. And hence the weeds choke the seed. And, uh, you know, the cares of this world and the love of riches. Yeah, so, we've, so I, I, I wouldn't get around to that. Not I'm worried about it, so I don't feel to get it, then you, you do what's necessary, because, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I, there's a temptation for me to really get obsessed with it, and start mm -hmm. really saving really hard for every spare penny I've gotten, and I've been tempted by it, but I'
so I'm trying to sort of <laughs> resist it because mm. because I don't I don't want to get into that no. obsession because it's I mean I, I could get into a flat and then think oh this don't feel right you know and maybe it's not what I want to go for mm, yeah so I'm trying to Sort of cat that's there, the oh yeah. So I'm really sort of like, oh, if you want me in the flat, though, then you you sort it out. I just mm. don't want to, you know, I want to get my hands off of it, kind of. Oh thing. yeah, yeah. Although still at the same time, as as I got opportunity, I want to try and save up, balls it, yeah. to do what I can, but not to get obsessed with it. Yeah, that's it, that, that's right. If it's that, to, to you know to to do something about it, but not not too much. Yeah, I mean, one of the dangers with house buying or property buying, and I mean, I'm, you know, I'm all for property buying. I think it's great. I mean, the law, you know, sort of like lights private property. It's fine to rent. It's fine to buy. No problem. But it's so easy, and so many people do this, even as Christians. They get mortgaged up to the eyeballs. You know, like they go in, even as Christians, they just go in there. And of course, the point is, they want too much too soon. And then they get into, you know, the position where, you know, sort of maybe, you know, sort of like man and woman get married, all right, they go and buy a place. Now, sometimes to get anywhere, they're left with the woman has to keep working. But often, they end up mortgaged in such a way and with a lifestyle that even, you know, that they think, well, we can't have children, so we've both got to keep working. Or, you know, sort of like maybe the children come along and then the wife has got to keep working because they're mortgaged up to the eyeballs. I'm not saying it's wrong, you know, to go to work when you've got kids. But my goodness, how sad if your kids don't even have the choice of having mum at home with them simply because mum and dad wanted more than they should have had too soon. And it, it's tragic, you know. And then you... You know, so life becomes a constant round of getting up, going to work, coming home, going to bed. And for what? To pay for your flipping house and lifestyle when you're working so hard you don't have time to enjoy it. I mean, the number of people, they've got lovely houses, lovely gardens, they spend every waking minute working to pay for it. They never get in, they, they never sit down and enjoy their lovely house and their lovely garden. And what a terrible bondage. I mean, how blessed to have a lovely house and garden and to, 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 to be at peace and enjoy it. But, you know, I mean, how tragic, you know, the, the kind of the way that people chase, you know, well, I mean, it's like, you know, the great god Mammon leading them and they, they got a, a, a ring through their nose and Mammon is leading them. And, oh, it's, it's, it's so sad. And it, it's, it's so the opposite to what Jesus taught. So, you know, money is neutral as long as you know it's not. <laughs> I think probably is the way to sum it up. If you know that money isn't neutral and you know what to do with it, now to keep it surrendered to the Lord, then it becomes neutral and God will bless it. Otherwise, it will dominate and control you. And it will be a curse, not a blessing at all. And um, end with a song. Mammon, mammon. <laughs> How I love you. How, How I love you, mammon. So I'm assuming now that Lee and Andy will of course be cancelling their holiday. No, actually, no, I'm, I'm mucking about. I ain't can't, I'm not not cancelling mine. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what time?
And remember as well, I'll just bring this in to remind us of it, just because it's important. I think, you know, we're, I think two or three years ago, we, you know, we sort of like addressed ourselves to it, but I think it's important. And remember, it is the time that, in the context of finances, that Jesus, you know, sort of like, you know, gave the teaching that if you're faithful in much, you know, sort of like you'll be blessed in greater things. And he said, who's going to grant spiritual riches to you if you're not faithful with material riches? And, and, and again, there's that link, you know, I mean, we kid ourselves. For instance, if we think we can fly off into the sunset moving in the gifts of the Spirit, if we haven't got the riches that we can control, under control. And, uh, you know, sort of like we can't expect God to bless us with spiritual authority if our finances aren't surrendered to him and, uh, you know, we're living financially in the way that he wants us to. And, uh, you know, so there is that link there, and that is important. I mean, I'm, you know, not that you can, you can't start buying the gifts of the Spirit. Oh, Lord, extra tenor in me giving for the gift of healing, you know. I mean, it's not, you can't barter like that. But nevertheless, Jesus did make a link between material faithfulness and spiritual, you know, sort of like riches. And, um, and then the one last thing, and this will be the last thing, but I always bung it in on this subject because it's important. The great danger, I think, in this fellowship um, won't be if, if Christians come through who are poor up to fair to middling, there won't be a problem. But if the Lord brings people to us who are very rich, that is where we've got to make sure that we're not prejudiced against people who are rich. There's nothing wrong with being rich. Can you see what I mean? And, 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 and I've just always, you know, can you see what I mean? There'd be a danger that, that, that someone, you know, like if someone came, I, I mean, Roger Price said, and I mean, I agree with him. I didn't once, but I do now. And, and he said that he's just looking forward to the day when that fellowship has its first Rolls Royce. And so am I. If the Lord ever wants anyone in this fellowship who can afford to run a Rolls Royce, brilliant, brilliant. Let there be no pressure on them to trade it down for a Merc or something. Or a Mini, knowing us, you know. I mean, you know, that, that, that what... <laughs> you see, that's important as well. Because, I mean, just picture it from the point of view of someone who has got a lot of money, that they could be faced with the circumstance, you know, situation where because they've got lots of money, everyone would assume that their finances weren't right with God. That's the wrong way round. You assume that someone's finances are right with God unless you have some reason to believe to the contrary. And remember as well, at the end of the day, other people's finances are none of our business. You see what I mean? I mean, your, your finances are my business if you care to make them my business, and my finances are your business if I care to make them. But we must be very, very careful that we're never making judgments on other because at the end of the day, you don't know what someone else's finances are. And you know, so that is important that if we ever I mean, be it unbelievers come along who have got loads of money, let's not make an approach that, well, you know, give it all away and then we'll believe you want to be Christians. 
And if believers come with loads of money, let's not assume that the fact that they got loads of money means that that means that they're not genuine disciples. You know, I mean, you know, sort of like I hope, you know, that for instance, I mean, I just quote him as it's a name that everyone knows, no one doubts that he really is sold out to the Lord. I would hope Cliff Richard could come here and never face any, you know, sort of sense that we thought that he had too much money. Or that somehow that he was by definition compromised as a Christian because of the amount of money he's got. Because he's not. And, you know, so, so anyone who comes with loads of money, let's not ever give out the vibes that if you've got loads of money, then you're guilty until <laughs> you're proven innocent. That would be a grave injustice. But on the other hand, as it says in James, if people come here with loads of money as well, they're not going to be treated any differently to people who haven't got loads of money. I.e. people with loads of money, they don't get the special seats. You don't start grovelling and bowing and scraping. You know, especially with a box in your hand with a little slit, you know. <laughs> See? No, I, I mean, you know, sort of like they're brothers and sisters in the Lord, regardless of how much money they got. And, I mean, you know, sort of like if, uh, you know, sort of like if they give you a lift somewhere and you climb into a, a gold-plated roller, well, so that's nice, brilliant, enjoy it. And, if you ever get a lift from someone in the church, you're in a beat-up old mini that's that's falling to bits as you drive along, well, praise the Lord, love love, love that person. Hate hate the mini, love the person. And, <laughs> you know, so... So that's important. That's important. Right, rightly relating to to money. Donna? No, she's not rich. No, she didn't. No. No, she she had she had been married. Um, she she was divorced from a very very rich man, but she never drew on. Um, she didn't, no, she never, she was divorced from a multi-millionaire, but she never, I'll answer your question if you... Sorry, sorry. <laughs> she was married to, divorced from a multi-millionaire, but never drew on his resources, even what she was entitled to draw on, preferring to make it on her own. Yeah. But we Remember, Paul wrote to the Corinthians. All right. In the Corinthian church, they were actually swindling each other financially. Oh, no. And, uh, you know, they were taking each other to court. And Paul writes them, and he says, don't, don't take affairs of the kingdom before the courts. And he said, rather be defrauded. Now, that's how loosely we're supposed to hang on to money. If, if someone in the church, if a Christian has defrauded me of money, then the fact that he, I mean, if, if a non-Christian does, I can take them to court. But if a brother defrauds me of money, then the law of love says um, to, 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 to do the kingdom of God's dirty washing in public is more serious than letting the money go. So Paul says, just let the money go. You know, it doesn't But I've been conned out of some money. doesn't matter. But it was a lot of money. It doesn't matter. 
because it's my money. It's what the law says, and I don't mind being cons because he doesn't. And so, uh, didn't you say that you should sort it out among yourselves, not to sort of like never sort it out? Oh, you're free to, and at the end of the day, it could go to church discipline. But let's say that Christian A in this church has defrauded Christian B, and say, say they've stolen money or whatever, okay. Um, you know, sort of, now, if Christian A, you know, repents of having done that, well, fine, then the money is, blah, blah, blah. But if Christian A doesn't, well, okay, the, it may be at the end of the day that a discipline from the church may need to exclude them from fellowship if indeed they're doing that sort of thing and won't repent and won't put it right but remember if you put them out of the fellowship that money goes with them you can't then right now we'll have recourse to the courts not if they're Christians not if they're Christians yeah right that was a bit that was a crime that's fair enough. The police are there. Yeah. 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 I mean, defrauding. Yeah, there is. Because with defrauding, you'd have to take a civil case out. If you were, if I caught you stealing, it wouldn't be wrong if I went to the police. That that would be fine. That that that's court law. Christians aren't exempt from that. If you, if I see you commit a crime, all right, and you get arrested, well, I might have to testify against you. If you're guilty, I've got to do that. With the default, what we're talking about are those cases that would require civil action. Um, I mean, you know, sort of like it's not, it's not uncommon. I mean, you know, I came across the example, you know, sort of some while ago, you know, where, um, you know, sort of like a book had been written, and. Uh, you know, sort of like history of the house church movement, and something was said that one of the leaders considered was untrue, and so he sued. And I, I couldn't understand that. You know, it seems to be so. You know, I've heard other Christians talk about. You know, and they said, well, you know, we felt it was right in the Lord in that instance to sue. Well, I mean, that seems to me to, you know, because I mean, at the end of the day, if somebody wants to, you know, should we say write a book and even say things in the book that aren't true? Well, okay, I can I can object, I can write to them and say, look, this isn't true, blah, blah, blah. But if I start suing them, mm -hmm. eh? exactly, because at the end of the day, it's better to be dragged through the mud, it's better to be defrauded than to end up going to a law court where a non-Christian judge, probably, you know, I mean, possibly a non-Christian judge and, and jury, are going to decide on an issue between two brothers because the church can't sort it out. That's that that's a tragedy. That's a scandal. We can't know that was a bloke committing crimes. Yeah, that was different. Yeah, yeah. No, we didn't. Yeah. No. We actually asked him to leave. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, the point is you've got to protect society from criminals. So, therefore, our, you know, sort of like our good citizenship means that, you know, sort of like in a circumstance like that, I mean, we won't let someone get away with committing crimes just because they're a Christian. <coughs> oh, well, I declare this talk officially over. <laughs>